This week is Holy Week, which is the week when we celebrate and remember what happened to Jesus on that final week of his life, starting on Palm Sunday, then culminating through the Last Supper, the arrest of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, his trial, and then ultimately his crucifixion, death, burial, and then his resurrection. And so for Holy Week, I'd like to share with you something I wrote for Palm Sunday called Palm Sunday Points Us to the Heart of the Gospel. On our wedding day, as my wife was walking down the aisle, she looked at me intently, and the big question in her mind was, is he going to do it? Her friend's husband had done it at their wedding, and she was wondering if I would too. But much to her dismay, I did not cry when she walked down the aisle. And she later asked me why I had not cried, and I said, why would I? That was a moment to celebrate, not to cry. And yet the Gospel of Luke tells us that on Palm Sunday, while everyone else was rejoicing and celebrating, Jesus was actually crying. Why was that? Well, the answer to that question draws us into the heart of the gospel. You know, Israel had had many kings throughout their history, but as we look at the books of 1 and 2 Kings, each king was a disappointment. Some were better than others, but none of them fulfilled their potential and all left the people longing and hoping for more. God had promised that one day he would send them a true king who would rule in righteousness. He would be a liberator who would set the people free from all oppression and establish a kingdom of peace and justice which would have no end. And yet no governing administration ever produced what they hoped it would. Rumors had been swirling for years that Jesus was the promised Messiah, the true king, but Jesus had refused to allow people to revere him as such until Palm Sunday. On Palm Sunday, with the city of Jerusalem full of people who had come to celebrate Passover, Jesus affirmed publicly that he was indeed the Messiah, and he rode into the city on a donkey, fulfilling the prophecy of Zechariah 9, verse 9. The people waved palm branches, it says in John 12, verse 13, laying them on the ground along with their cloaks before Jesus to create a red carpet for the rightful king. The significance of this act is found in 2 Kings 9, verse 13, when Jehu became king of Israel, overthrowing the wicked dynasty of Ahab and Jezebel. At that time, the people laid their cloaks on the ground before him. Additionally, some 200 years before Jesus was born, in the Maccabean Revolt, Israel had successfully cast off their Syrian overlords and gained their independence, at which time the people celebrated with a parade in which they waved palm branches. And the palm branch, which was later stamped on Jewish coins, was a symbol of deliverance from oppression. And yet upon entering Jerusalem, instead of going to the Antonia Fortress to put the Romans on notice, Jesus instead went to the temple where he drove out the money changers and healed the sick, according to Matthew 21, verses 12 through 14. Clearly, many of the people were disappointed that Jesus did not give them the political solution they were hoping for that day. Perhaps some of the same people who shouted Hosanna on Palm Sunday were amongst the crowds shouting crucify him on Good Friday, having been disillusioned that Jesus hadn't done what they expected him to do. Perhaps they should have read Zechariah's prophecy again. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation is he. Jesus, the true king, came to meet our greatest need. The unrighteous, the Bible says, will not enter the kingdom of God. It says that in 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 through 10. Jesus, the only righteous person who has ever lived, however, came to meet our greatest need, 
so that through his life, death, and resurrection, we might be justified by his grace and thereby be saved from judgment. The people in Jerusalem had an expectation of what Jesus was going to do for them. But when Jesus didn't do what they expected, some of them turned away. And yet what Jesus was doing for them was actually better than what they had hoped for. And it was what they truly needed. May that be a lesson for us on Palm Sunday and throughout Holy Week, that we would walk with God by faith, trusting in his character, his love, and his plans. Because rather than a genie in a bottle who always gives us what we want if we say the magic words, we have a Father in heaven who loves us and gives us what we need, and that is infinitely better. You see, Jesus wept with us so that one day we might rejoice with him forever. In Luke 19, verse 41, we read that as Jesus was riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, as the crowds were cheering, Jesus was actually crying. Shouldn't he have been reveling in in receiving the recognition that he rightly deserved? The reason Jesus cried is because as he looked over Jerusalem, he knew that the current enthusiasm would not last, and he would soon be crucified as a criminal by the people he had come to save. Yet with tears streaming down his face, Jesus continued into Jerusalem. Why? Because Hebrews 12 verse 2 says that it was because of the joy that was set before him. You see, Jesus wept with us for a moment so that one day we might rejoice with him forever. In the book of Revelation, we are given a preview of heaven. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There they are again. In heaven, we see palm branches, the symbol of deliverance from oppression, because Jesus, the true King, has liberated us from that which is at the root of all oppression. Whereas on Palm Sunday, people shouted, Hosanna, which means save now, the great multitude in heaven declares that Jesus has saved them. Palm Sunday points us to the heart of the gospel. The true King came to meet our greatest need, and he wept with us so that one day we might rejoice with him forever. Thanks for listening to this episode of Theology for the People. Join me again next week when I will have a special guest, Mason Mortimer, talking about finance and how finance relates to the Bible and to being a follower of Jesus. We'll talk about how a good theology, a biblical theology of money, should work and what are some outworkings of bad theologies of money, like people who take vows of poverty. Is that a good thing or is it a bad thing? And we get into discussing that and the history, the theology behind it. I think you'll find it fascinating. At the end of the episode, Mason then actually gives just some very practical um, advice for people who are interested in maybe starting out in financial stewardship and planning. And I think that would be great. He's been working in the financial services industry for 17 years. So he's uh, pretty well versed in these things, knows what he's talking about. So I hope you listen to that episode. If this episode or anything else that we do here at Theology for the People has been a blessing to you, really would love it if you would give us a rating and review over on the Apple podcast app. And if you haven't done so yet, please check out my book, 
the God I won't believe in facing nine common barriers to embracing Christianity. There's a link for that in the show notes, and you can also just search for it on Amazon, or you can find it on my website, nickkady.org, N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y.org. I'll see you next week.